Well, again, good morning to uh, everybody. Thanks for joining me at Redemption Online. We are kicking off a brand new series today, and the series is called this, Redemption. Emphasis on the re, the R-E, redemption. And the tagline is preparing for relaunch, preparing for relaunch. Now, at the beginning of this series, let me tell you what this series is not. When we say we're preparing for relaunch, what we're not saying in a relaunch is, hey, we're starting all over. Now, that would be a bad idea because we've had a great four years as a church and God has been so faithful to us. He's given us a vision to be the church that Jesus came to plan. He's given us a mission statement to help all people experience experience redemption and live in freedom. And he's built a culture around our church. The church is a family. And so we want to build on all of that stuff, not dismiss it. And so the phrase is a little bit tongue in cheek. We're preparing for relaunch, uh, but, but it also, it makes sense. I mean, obviously these last weeks have been different. And so this is an opportunity for us to build off of our past, to make some adjustments or learn some new things if we need to, and to get ready for those those moments when we get to meet again together in person. They say, well, when's that going to be? Well, stick around to the end and we'll give you some clues on when that will be. We have a meeting immediately after the service. So here we are. We're preparing for relaunch. And the series is called Redemption. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at RE words in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be studying the book of Acts until we relaunch. And the reason we're studying the book of Acts is because if we want to be the church that Jesus came to plant, then we ought to study the church that Jesus came to plant. And that church is found in the book of Acts. Now this works out well because today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, which is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, 10 days after the ascension of Christ. And so today around the world, people are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know what the word Pentecost Sunday means, well, don't worry. I'll get there in a moment. But we are preparing for relaunch. And this is an exciting time for us as a church. We get to celebrate what God's done over the last four years. We get to celebrate how we've grown over the last 10 to 12 weeks while we've been online. And then we get to come together as a church, even though we're not physically in the same place, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally, even more so we can be together and get ready for the moment when we get to meet together again at our relaunch. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter one. Uh, we just got done with the series called I Saw Jesus. And in that series, it ended with this restorative moment between Jesus and the apostle Peter. And at the end of it, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, follow me. I gave you five reasons of what follow me meant. Well, the fifth one was follow me because as you follow me, uh, Jesus was saying that eventually, Peter, what's going to happen as you follow me is I'm going to ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit is going to descend down upon you. And so I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago or over the last couple of weeks. And today we're at that moment in the text. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that fifth step of following Jesus, because eventually when we follow him, the Holy Holy Spirit descends on us. A couple weeks ago, I preached through um, a text in John 20, verse 22, and it said these words, receive the Holy Spirit. And a couple weeks ago, I, I foreshadowed today because there was this clear moment where Jesus looked at the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
But here in Acts, he's going to say something similar. And so the question that we're asking today is, well, what was the difference between what happened then in John 20, 22, and what happened in Acts chapter 2? What's the difference? Well, we're going to get into that this morning. Uh, let's look at a little bit of a setup. Acts 1-4. Acts 1-4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And so maybe you've heard of this term, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you thought, oh, that's one of those crazy terms. That's for the, the charismatics or for the, the Pentecostals or whatever it might be. Like, where did that word even come from? Jesus. The word came from Jesus. And what we ought not to ever do is to ignore words that come from Jesus. And so if you're wondering, where did the idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit originate? Jesus. So that makes it important. And clearly here, we're seeing the beginning where what occurred in John 20, verse 22 is something different than what Jesus is talking about here coming up in Acts chapter two. And so there's two experiences here with the Holy Spirit. Verse six of Acts chapter one. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is an interesting text because even now on the day of Jesus's ascension or very close to it, it seems like the disciples still don't fully understand what's going on. They're still wondering, Jesus, are you establishing an earthly, king, earthly kingdom? They're still slightly confused. I want to use that as an analogy for sometimes of what happens to us, where when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we still don't completely understand it. We're still slightly confused. And so this morning, here's my challenge to you. Let the text speak to you. Let the words of scripture inform your opinion. Not what you've kind of heard, not the doctrine that you've kind of loosely put together over the years by hearing different things or talking to certain people, but let the scripture this morning teach you. Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. And then here's Acts 1.8, but you will receive, this is your first R-E word, receive, redemption, that's the series, preparing for relaunch. Your first R-E word is this, receive, but you will receive power obviously pointing to a future moment. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now there's something very important happening here in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus is talking about a Holy Spirit experience apart from the receiving of the Holy Spirit that they had in John 20, verse 22. He's talking about receiving a what? A power. The word power there, uh, its origins come out of the same word we would use for dynamite. And so they're talking about a powerful experience. You will receive power. And so what is the difference between this receiving of the Holy Spirit in John 20, 22, and this receiving of power that's going to occur in Acts chapter two? Uh, two. And also we're seeing the purpose for this receiving of the power. Jesus is laying it out very clearly. And this is one of the things that we can't be confused about, that the point of the receiving of the power was not for the exercising of spiritual gifts. That wasn't the purpose. It wasn't for some personal emotional experience, not the purpose. The purpose of receiving the power was so that we would be witnesses. 
The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is that you and I would be powerful witnesses of the gospel of Christ. That was the point then and now. This is one of the things that gets confused. And so if you wanna be a powerful witness of Christ, if you're out there thinking, well, I don't know if I need to receive this power. If you're not an incredible evangelist, you should pay attention. Receive the power so that we might be witnesses. So that's what is the setup in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus is the one who introduces the word baptism. Jesus is the one who says, receive power so that you might become good witnesses of the gospel. Now, Acts chapter two, we would assume is about 10 days after. So this is setting up the ascension of Christ in Acts chapter one. Then Acts chapter two is actually the Pentecost or uh, the descending of the Holy Spirit. So this is 50 days now after Easter. And historically, traditionally, today is that day, right? Okay, so now we're in Acts chapter two when Pentecost actually occurs. When the day of Pentecost arrived, And 2020 calendar, May 31st. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The first thing we're seeing here is this, unity, unity. The the day of Pentecost was to create unity, not disunity. So how sad is it that the events of Pentecost had been one of the most divisive parts of the church in modern day? This day, Pentecost, has divided the church much more than it has unified it. And that is a tragedy because the Pentecost was about unity. It was about unity, which is why we have to go back to the text, not how man has morphed this throughout the years. Go back to the text and see what was Jesus trying to do on that day. Verse two, I'm just giving you a preview of these four verses. Then we're gonna go back and study them. Verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The, the sound came from where? From heaven. Now the, the sound and everything that's coming after this is a, um, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And where did it come from? It came from heaven. You cannot manufacture the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this way doesn't come from good chords on the keyboard. It doesn't come from a powerful sermon. It doesn't come from a beautiful ballad. It doesn't come from writing California. It doesn't come from a honeypot. Some of you will understand that reference. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's not important. The point is it comes from heaven. And if there's something that comes from heaven, we should want it. If it's a manufactured thing of humanity that makes us feel good for a night at a big concert, you can leave that or send it back to hell where it belongs. What we're talking about is something from heaven, from heaven. And if it comes from heaven, I want it. And you should too. Number three, verse three. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This was a mass movement. This was not just for the preacher. This was not just for the pastor. This was not just for the musician. This is for everybody. And so friend, if you're a part of God's universal church, and if you're a part of Redemption Church, then this is for you. Number four, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said there was going to be a baptism and they're using the term filled. And so we have to see the connection there between Jesus's word baptism and this word filling, because Jesus said a baptism and they're saying this, and Jesus isn't wrong. So this is a baptism. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what we're seeing in verse four is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus's words, not mine, Jesus's. They filled or they received a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism was for everyone. The baptism created unity and the baptism was from heaven. From heaven. So, what's happening here in this story? What's happening in this text? Three things, three important things that are happening in this text. Number one, the church is born. The church is born. There is no church that Jesus came to plant without the Holy Spirit. Let me say it one more time. There is no church that Jesus came to plant without the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be legal entities called churches. Doesn't mean in America we can't start 501c3s and get church tax exempt status. What it means that is if it is the church that Jesus came to plant, then it is empowered by the Holy Spirit and Jesus is its head. How do you know it's the church that Jesus came to plant? Because Jesus is in charge of it and the Holy Spirit is powering it. A few months ago, my dad preached a great sermon on the Tower of Babel, and he drew a connection between what occurred on the Tower of Babel and what occurred at the day of Pentecost, and their reversals of each other, their opposites of each other. See, the Tower of Babel was when a group of humans tried to build something, and they all had one language, but because they were trying to build it in their name, God confused their languages and created disunity through dispersion. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, I'm going to build something, And so what he did is he took all of the languages that were confused and he united them through a spiritual miracle. Pentecost is the reversal. Babel is what happens when men try to build things. Pentecost is what happens when Jesus tries to build something. And so on that day, the church of Christ that he came to plant was born. And that's why we're studying this, friends. We are studying this because our vision is to be the church that Jesus came to plant, which means Jesus has to be the head and the Holy Spirit has to be the power. It means we trust him. He's in charge. It means myself and the elders and our staff submit ourselves to his leadership. It means it's not about our methods or our strength or our power or our earthly talents. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the church that Jesus came to plant. Second thing that's happening in here is this. The believers are being baptized into the Holy Spirit. The believers are being baptized into the Holy Spirit. From heaven and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each and every one of them. And they were filled with, with the Holy Spirit. They're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to spend a moment here and help you with some doctrinal stuff. And that is to show the difference between John 20, 22 and Acts chapter two. John 20, 22, Jesus looked at them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I pointed this out a few weeks ago, that that was a word that meant instantaneously in the moment. It wasn't pointing to a proper thing that's bad exegesis. It was that moment, receive the Holy Spirit. There was something that was happening in the disciples' heart right there. Now Jesus is telling them, 
later received the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what is this difference between receiving the Holy Spirit in John 20 and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2? I want to give you some language that will help understand. We're going to call John 22 receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let me be very clear. No one is a follower of Christ Jesus. No one is born again without the power of, without the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot become Christians apart from the Holy Spirit. And so every single person who is a Christian has um, experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it this way. Receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit makes it possible to enter into salvation and to grow up in salvation. Said another way, the presence of the Holy Spirit makes it possible for you to love Jesus. Some words we would use scripturally or doctrinally in order to do this. Four words, let me give them to you. When we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, adoption, sanctification, and bearing fruit. Regeneration is your old, dead, sinful, sick, disgusting, disturbing heart that each and every one of us have because we were born children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's that heart being regenerated and being made new in Christ Jesus. Adoption is the sense of knowing I've moved from a slave to sin, right? To a slave to righteousness, or I've moved from a child of Satan to a child of the Father. That's adoption. Sanctification is the process of growing up in Christ and, and letting less of me and more of him and, and being refined and all of that. And then bearing fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's the bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there are lots of people who have received the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives and they've professed faith in Christ and they have been regenerated and they know adoption and they're being sanctified in Christ and they're bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that is all fantastic. And I hope that and pray that for each and every one of you. And if you're not in Christ yet right now, may the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life regenerate your sinful heart and may you bow down to Christ Jesus. And that happens through the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can't come into Christ without that. No. In Acts chapter two though, there's a clear second experience that is happening. And we see this in Acts 8. We see this in Acts 9. We see this in Acts 19. This is all throughout the scriptures. Also, some of my favorite preachers preach on this, preachers of different denominations. Dwight Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Wesley, I mean, these are classic preachers of the gospel from all across the denominations talking about what this filling, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. So what is the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2? And it is possible to have John 20 and not Acts 2. It is possible to receive the presence of the Holy Spirit, but not to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of you might be deeply offended about that. And I would say, when's the last time you want someone to Christ? Because that, that is the evidence of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two reasons. The power of the Holy Spirit does this. It empowers you to be a part of the church and to share Jesus with others. And so the presence helps us love Jesus, but the power helps us share Jesus. And so you can have a whole bunch of receive the presence of the Holy Spirit Christians who know adoption and who know sanctification and know how to bear fruits and have come into Christ Jesus, but there's zero power. In other words, it's all going in, but nothing's coming out. 
They can dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but there's no power of the Holy Spirit exiting. How do you know the power of the Holy Spirit? What is the point of the power of the Holy Spirit? To bear witness to Jesus. Uh, you say, what's your evidence of that? Well, let me bring you back to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has to come upon you to what? To be witnesses. The point of the power of the Holy Spirit is to empower your evangelism. The second thing it does, by the way. Oh, let me give you more evidence. Um, Peter, out of all of the Old Testament, which is a very large set of writings, picks out one prophecy to preach on the day of Pentecost, and it's found in the book of Joel. And at the end of it, in verse 21 of Acts chapter 2, it says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In other words, what's the point of all of this pouring out of the Holy Spirit? That people would be saved the people would be saved. And so when we pray, Holy Spirit, fall in this place. Holy Spirit, anoint this. Holy Spirit, this. Holy Spirit, that. I'm going to a concert tonight. And the only effect of the entire experience is that you feel good about your relationship with God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's an incomplete thing. And that's not what happened here. If the whole point of powerful experiences is so that you feel more emotionally connected to Jesus, you don't understand the book of Acts. The point is not, did I feel good and get a tingle down my back? The point is, did somebody come to Jesus? Did somebody repent of sin? Did somebody experience the gospel? That was the point. Now, later we know that it wasn't just witness, but there's another tactic involved too. And that is that he begins to empower us with spiritual gifts and that the whole point of spiritual gifts was for the edification of the church. The whole point of the spiritual gifts is not for you to figure out your Enneagram or some stupid pagan personality test and try to like align that with the Bible. Okay, so go ahead and throw out your psychology books for a second and read your Bible and realize, okay, that your spiritual gift has nothing to do with your personality. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit and he gives it to you so that you might build his church, not so that you might feel good about yourself. Someone's like, you're fired up today. Yeah, because distorting the church that Jesus came to plant is pretty big business. The point of this baptism was to make us witnesses and to give us spiritual gifts that we humbly submit to him. There was no spiritual gifts checklist or test in the New Testament. You know how they figured out their spiritual gifts? They humbled their arrogant selves to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how they figured it out. You want to know your spiritual gift? Don't Google find out my spiritual gift. Get on your knees. Bow yourself to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit empower you. So that was the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's see this effect on one human being, one human being who is no different than you and me, Peter, Peter. Peter had just gotten restored by Jesus, okay? Peter uh, had received the Holy Spirit in John 20, verse 22, but now Peter's gonna receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you're gonna have this dude, Peter, all of a sudden preaching a gospel, Acts chapter two, verse 22, look at this. Look at Peter's preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. That's a clear gospel. And so Peter just comes out firing and he's preaching a clear gospel. He's like, you killed Jesus and you put him on the cross and he died, but God rose him from the dead because he had a plan and death can't hold Jesus and that's the gospel and you should follow him and it was pretty clear. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, he's gonna preach a clear gospel and he's gonna preach a confident gospel. And then, You say, well, is it effective? Is it effective to preach that clear of a gospel? Like, can we really just tell people that they're sinners and Jesus conquered death and that worked? Well, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter preached a clear gospel, he preached a confident gospel, and he preached a compelling gospel. Now, Peter clearly has the spiritual gift of teaching or prophecy, right? So I'm not saying every single one of you has to go out and begin preaching in this way to 3,000, 6,000, 10,000, however many people it was, but this should mean that each and every one of us is able to communicate a clear, confident, compelling gospel. However long you've been a Christian, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you can communicate a clear, confident, compelling gospel. Get rid of all the wishy-washy, right? Oh, I'm afraid to use the word sin, or I'm afraid to talk about Jesus's death and resurrection, because is that really possible? Uh, Get rid of any, like, I don't know if you're going to like this or not, and just communicate a clear, confident, compelling gospel, and let the Holy Spirit take it from there. That's Peter, man. He just comes out firing. He comes out firing. Clear, compelling, and confident gospel. Friends, if you want to pray for me as your pastor, you can pray one thing, and that's it, that I would be able to communicate a clear, confident, and compelling gospel every Sunday. That's, all, that's the only prayers I need from you, that I would be able to do that. Because here's what I'm going to pray for you, that you would do the same. And for me, I might get to do it from stage, right? But for you, you can do it in the classroom. You can do it on your sports team. You can do it at your work. You can do it wherever you're at clear, confident, compelling gospel. I would pray that each of us would be 1% as effective as Peter. And 30 people would come to Christ. I'll pray for you. For me, that would be one is 1,000th. The three people would come to Christ. A clear, confident, and compelling gospel. Third thing that's happening here. God is equipping all the saints God is equipping all the saints. Verse three, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Another verse just to prove my point, Acts 2, 17 through 18. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter could have picked anything in the Old Testament to quote right here. And he picks these words to teach us that the Holy Spirit was now equipping everybody, everybody. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament 
where uh, Moses is uh, the clear leader of the Israelite people. And so they send him up to the mountain and he receives the glory of God. And he then goes down the mountain and all of the people are there and they have to live off of Moses's glory. On the day of Pentecost, instead of one person going up, Jesus went to the cross, died on it so that the glory of God could fall on each of us, on you. So as Moses went up the mountain, to receive the law and experience the glory of God, now each and every one of us can receive something better than the law, the gospel, and can experience the glory of God. You're the new Moses in that way. We each can carry the presence of God. The church that Jesus came to plant is not just a couple of people who have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole body of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is for everybody, young and old, man and woman, boss and employer, whatever. Everybody is to be baptized in this Holy Spirit. That's why Peter picked these words. That's why he picked these words. As we're preparing for relaunch, friends, this has to be something for all of us. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, yeah, but how did everybody respond to this? Because this is kind of craziness. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You're smart. There were two responses. There were two responses. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? All were amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? The very first thing that they asked, a bunch of people looked and they said, hold on, what is this? What, what, what does this mean? I don't, I don't understand what's going on? Now, here's what they didn't do. And by the way, if you're freaked out a little bit by what I'm talking about, and if you're kind of like worried a little bit, that's okay. They were too. But when we're talking about preparing for relaunch, I'm asking you this question. Even if you didn't grow up in this kind of context, even if the, this whole idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this clear second step after this thing that happened in John 20, this other part in Acts chapter um, in Acts chapter 2, even if this is something you're unfamiliar with, I'm asking the question, are you willing? Are you willing to be like them and say, hold on, what does this mean? I'm at least willing to learn. I'm at least willing to open up my eyes and my heart to something. Because what I don't want to happen is the second response. See, the second response is found in verse 13. And it says this, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The second response was this, they're all drunk. They're just drunk. Or, or the second response in modern day is, oh, those are the crazy people. Those are the Pentecostals. That's not for us. That's not for a modern church. No, the church that Jesus came to plant doesn't exist without the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't happen unless you, as a member of the body of Christ, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't throw out a clear act and move of God from heaven. This is how the church becomes what it's supposed to be. So you might say, well, what do I do? What do I do? Well, that's what they asked Peter. They said, what do I do? Well, in Acts 2.41 they said this, so those who received his word 
We're back. Ah, it's the wrong verse. This is the right verse. Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the first one, receiving the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit regenerate your heart. I'm assuming most of us have been there today. And so if you haven't, repent right now, believe in Christ. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, you should do that because you're an adult and you're just disobeying God and you should just get baptized, right? We believe in credo baptism, which means that we profess faith in Christ and then we get baptized. So if you haven't been baptized, go ahead and get baptized. Okay, but then it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the gift? It's the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and to use your gift appropriately. Now, let me be very, very clear here. We are not seeking an emotional experience. We are seeking an evangelistic empowerment. And that is something each and every one of us should crave and want. See, Jesus is clear instructions to Peter were this, follow me. Because Jesus knew that you couldn't follow him unless the power of the Holy Spirit was going to descend upon you. And in Christianity, sometimes people say, I'm going to follow Jesus. But the moment we start talking about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, we let Jesus keep walking and we just stop. Keep following him because following him meant receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you some preparation points for today. Some preparation points for our relaunch. As we're getting ready for relaunching as a church, let me give you two points of preparation. And when I give these prep points each week, it's the clear idea that each and every one of us need to engage in these preparation points. So here's preparation point number one. Receive power. Ask for a baptism. Receive power. Ask for a baptism. And you might say, I don't know what words to say. And I, I don't know how to do this. I didn't grow up in this environment. And maybe it doesn't happen right here and right now, but will you respond to this clear biblical teaching the way the first group did when they said, I don't know what this means, but Peter, what do I do? Friend, would you ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you afresh later? Later, Paul is going to compare this type of experience with being drunk with wine. He's going to compare it because it's not always something that happens just once. It's something that we can go back and ask for. We can say, Holy Spirit, empower me. We use words like anoint me, fill me, give me strength. I want a baptism. I want an experience. I want each and every one of you to have an experience in the Holy Spirit, okay? Not for the sake of your emotions, but a moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon you, where all of a sudden, all of the fears of evangelism, all of the selfishness so um, often associated with spiritual gifts, those diminish, and all of a sudden, you are a clear confident, compelling communicator of the gospel. All of a sudden, you have found your spiritual gift and you're operating in it for the edification and the advancement of his church. So receive the power. Ask for a baptism right now. And here's the second one. Here's the second preparation point for you and me this week. Up until the moment that we relaunch, here's what I'm asking of you. Would you pray consistently or daily for these three things? Unity, evangelism, and spiritual gifts. Unity, 
evangelism, and spiritual gifts because that's what Pentecost brought. It's to bring us together as the body of Christ. It's to empower us for evangelism. And it is to equip us with spiritual gifts that when properly utilized, build and advance his church. There is no church that Jesus came to plant without the power of the Holy Spirit. So in humility, ask him to fill you and baptize you fresh. Will you pray with me? So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for planting the church, the church that you wanted to plant. And help us to throw off any way where tradition has triumphed over your spirit. For any that are out there that are afraid, that have fallen previously into the camp of this is just drunkenness, this is craziness, this is weirdness, melt their hearts right now instead to want to experience your power in a new way. To want to be baptized in such a way that it walks over them, brings them to their knees. And then when they stand back up, they're a better communicator of the gospel than they've ever been. Equip our church with all of the appropriate spiritual gifts that are necessary. And may they be properly utilized in a way that surrenders them all to the greatest goal, which is the advancement of your name through evangelism. This is our prayer, Lord. And as we get ready for relaunch, bring us together, prepare the way. So in those moments when we come back, Lord, we come out with as much power, passion, and strength as we're able. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.